Hello from the Hattie School in Berlin. This is Future Security Podcast, a communication project of the student-run Hattie School Security Club, dedicating to discuss a wide range of insights, ideas, and visions for the global security challenge facing us today and in the future. I am On Chen Po, your host for today, and we will discuss the Turkish defense industry. Today we have a uh, Tuna Sutura, first year student of the Hattie School Master of International Affairs program, joining us to discuss the defense industry of Turkey. Good afternoon, Tuna. Good afternoon, Chengpur. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me here. It's a privilege having you as our very first guest in our very first episode of the Future Security Podcast. So. Let me start by asking you to introduce yourself briefly. Um, where you come from? What is your education background? And why Berlin? Why Hattie? Oh, please. Good questions. Thank yeah. you. So I am from Turkey. Uh, I was born and raised in Ankara, the capital. Um, I have a background in uh, international relations at Bilkent University. That's also a university in Ankara. Uh, I studied my bachelor's there, and then I. Did my Erasmus exchange in Leiden University at the Hague campus. Uh, I have a little bit of internship experience at the Center for Foreign Policy and Peace Research. Mm-hmm. Um, and today, what I have is just gathered knowledge and work of others summarized. But I do not claim expertise. My hope is to bring a good summarization of what's out in the field. <laughs> I will expect otherwise that that the, our podcast will be insightful. <laughs> so let me start, um, Tuna. Uh, Turkey is sitting on a very strategic location. Yes. On the intersection between Europe and Asia, mm-hmm. it is a member of NATO. Mm-hmm. It have military involvement in regional conflict, including in Syria, Libya, and it defend industry also have something to do with. A conflict that is close to home, like in Nagorno Karabakh, for example. Mm-hmm. So, first question about our topic, uh, Tuna: Why does Turkey feel the need to have its own defense industry at all? That's a good place to start. <laughs> so, when it comes to why there is a defense industry, I think the immediate question is. Should you buy or produce weapons? I can actually start explaining this by uh, the research uh, put on, put into the field by Hussein Baja and Chalar Kurch in 2017, and they explored Turkey's strategic choice: buy or make weapons. And uh, it's important to say that Turkey has been investing in its national defense industry since the 1980s, and this is to achieve self-sufficiency in defense. Uh, it has economic benefits, of course, and international prestige, like many other developing countries. Um, but it has failed to attain its primary goals of defense indu- industrialization, despite this almost. 40 plus years of investment. And according to Chalar Kurch and Hussein Baja, uh, tr- Turkey's perseverance in pursuing these goals can be attributed to three factors. First is that Turkey believes that its defense industrial capabilities have actually improved. And 
the goal of autarky is still achievable. Without believing in this, they wouldn't pursue this. The second is that the increasing defense exports suggested to the government that the Turkish defense industry has became became somewhat sustainable and this trend is expected to continue and when there, there, there's a trend like this you continue investing i guess and the third is that the ruling party justice and development party and akp in our uh, own language uses this defense industry and local weapon systems to enhance its prestige and gain domestic political support so um these are a combination of uh probably grand strategic factors plus a political factor. And it is an important uh, discussion in Turkey whether the defense industry is above politics or actually centered around. And um, based on the research I've done for today, I, I, I am actually view that it's actually positioned right at the center of the political debate. And even before the, we have the elections upcoming in May 14th, and we see on the streets that there are posters of uh, President Erdogan uh actually promoting the weapon systems or uh the national uh nationally procure, uh, produced um air fighter airplanes so um this is i am also of the belief that this is used for prestige mm-hmm, mm-hmm. thank you tuna next question would be i am asking you to please describe the structure of the turkish defense industry what basic element of the turkish defense industry that outsider unfamiliar audience like myself should know about i guess um turkey's defense industry includes a focus on becoming a deterrent power and adopting a proactive and integrated approach to realizing its grand strategy and what to know about turkey is that since 80s turkish defense industries have made significant improvements in their production capabilities and uh, the data show us that turkey reached a 54% local production level in 2011 so this this is a sort of impressive development and this has encouraged the government to declare that defense industrial autarky as i mentioned but it is also important to have another approach which could be extracted from the existing literature that instead of technological capabilities and cost effectiveness uh, the pursuit of defense autarky in turkey is hindered by institutional deficiencies reliance on foreign inputs and the continuing influence of the united states over the turkish politics and um, to continue a bit the shift in arms production in turkey has created opportunities for many countries to develop advanced military systems through defense industrial partnerships and foreign component technology but the process has primarily benefited major arms producing companies with um small and emerging states seeking help from developed countries and their defense companies to climb the development ladder of defense industrialization mm-hmm. throughout this process i think turkey has lost its ability to plan and implement its own defense policies after being integrated into western political and military structures with nato but after major issue of the arms embargo after the cyprus issue in 80s this has changed and since then turkey started the main battle tank project in 1997 uh, with two options of procurement uh, buy foreign tanks with tanks with new technology or develop a design with a foreign 
partner and produce it in Turkey under licenses. And initially, the plan was a, for a foreign contractor and a local contractor to co-produce the tank. But continuing in the process, Turkey then received offers from South Korea and Pakistan for joint development and production of battle tanks. And despite these strategic plans and a 10-year procurement program, major procurement decisions have taken a long time due to changes in procurement models and expected outcomes. And the absence of agreed goals and coordination between institutions um, highlight the precarious nature of Turkey's defense industrialization. And um, I think also the lacking of establishing an effective organizational structure that can actually clarify the role and responsibilities of military and civilian mm. elites has created a destructive civilian-military rivalry in the mm. country. So from tank to drone and to other <laughs> equipments, um, you know, the international defense supply market is a crowd place now. Mm-hmm. Um, you have major competitors, mm-hmm. um, namely in the United States, in the fellow European country. Mm-hmm. The Chinese, the Russian are all producing their own um, uh, weapon and have their own pre-existing defense industry. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the international defense supply market, how well does the Turkish uh, defense industry compete with other uh, foreign arms supplier as the competitor or some, somehow at, at some place collaborator in, 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 in what you just read with South Korea and other? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think this could be, um, I will seek the aid of uh, existing research here mm. by Göksal Korkmaz and Mustafa Kemal Topçu. And they explored Porter's diamond model and the competitiveness of the Turkish defense mm. industry. And based on a model, which is an accepted and commonly used uh, model to provide a more organized and systematic approach to competition strategies, they explore the competitiveness of the Turkish defense industry. Mm. And I'm actually going to use some ways they explore this competitiveness. And to begin with, we can evaluate uh, the human resources of the industry. For example, the Turkish defense industry benefits from an actually well-trained and youthful workforce. We are a young country with 73,000 defense industry employees as of, I think, 2019, which was a 10% increase from the previous past years. And the majority of the uh, personnel uh, are engineers and technical personnel, indicating a focus on technological production, design and development. But um, the turnover per capita is low, which is around uh, 130 to 170,000 in the last five years, which is less than half of the sector average of uh, 350,000. And this indicates low labor productivity, which is a significant problem for the industry. I mean, moving on from the human resources to physical resources, around 70% of the defense industry companies in Turkey are clustered in Ankara. This is actually good. So this clustering of defense industry companies in close proximity to each other is a significant competitive advantage. This puts pressure on companies to compete in international markets on price, which can be challenging too. But generally, this proximity is good. Information sources, that's also important. So the defense industry relies on technology roadmaps as they define it, to obtain necessary information, reduce foreign dependency, and develop crucial technologies. And this roadmap uses a systematic approach to evaluate and prioritize operational needs uh, based on national capabilities and technological readiness level. 
But the industry's success is closely linked to its ability to produce high-tech and original products. And the number of patents received by Turkey has increased significantly. But the use of university industry cooperation has contributed to this increase, but it may not be sufficient for continued success, so to say. And in the capital resources, the main contractors in the industry have achieved a sales volume that is on average half of their total assets between 2012 and 2016. And the reason for this low rate is due to project-based production, inefficient use of resources and long stock cycle periods. And in the defense sector, external sources finance 70% of the assets, while companies' own resources finance the remaining 30%, which is a problem, so to say. What else? Infrastructure. (laughs) As everybody knows, the defense industry requires significant investment in manufacturing infrastructure, resulting in high fixed costs and a need for vast financial support. But the infrastructure investments often do not reflect in sales. And, And this leads to small capacity and increased costs, especially for subcontractors. And to strengthen the defense industry's infrastructure, incentive mechanisms such as tax exemptions, investment location allocation, and interest supports are implemented. What else? I mean, I can talk about uh, supporting industries and demand conditions, but I think focusing on the supply could be also important because uh, there is a problem with supply in uh, Turkey. And one of the primary shortcomings in Turkey's defense industry is the lack of enough suppliers competing globally, Mm -hmm. which would assist in meeting critical needs and gaining access to raw materials. And the scarcity of reliable suppliers has led to the sector stockpiling accessible quantities due to covert embargoes. Just to conclude, uh, I can say in recent times, um, yes, Turkey's defense industry has gained momentum due to political and military incursions, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. and the importance of the industry to the country's national competitiveness has Mm -hmm. been reinforced. Mm -hmm. But to achieve competitive advantage in many industries, a country must create and develop factors that are vital for the growth and productivity of the economy over the time. Mm -hmm. And Turkey's defense industry has received its roots from the learning school and cognitive school, and a strategy has been shaped with past experiences. Mm -hmm. However, the power and politics that shape the strategy formation should also be given importance, as revealed by the sanctions Turkey faces in every strategic step it takes. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Tuna. When it comes to the implication, Turkey now have its own strongly standing, as you mentioned, um, defense industry despite some challenge and obstacle. But where is the Turkish defense industry when it comes to an implication in its neighborhood, regional and global security, for example? We see somehow kind of a implications and mm-hmm. impact on the neighborhood conflict, for example, in Nagano-Karabakhs, mm-hmm. that the Azerbaijan have mm-hmm. been using actively um, the Turkish uh, defense industry supply mm-hmm. to take advantage on, on, on the territorial uh, battles. Mm-hmm. So can, can you tell us about the, this, this kind of implication on both uh, regional and global level for the Turkish uh, defense industry? Of course. Yeah. So I think When we talk about the region and the neighborhood, I think it's important to focus our attention on the foreign policy a lot. Because as I said, Turkish defense industry revolves around being utilized as a political force, Mm -hmm. either in 
in the foreign context or in the domestic mm. context. And when we look at the foreign context, we see tw- almost more than 20 years of rule of the Justice and Development Party. And their foreign policy is actually important here in what we see in the 21st century, basically. The former foreign uh, minister of Turkey, Ahmet Davutoglu, mm. uh, when uh, the Justice and Development Party first came to power, published an article. He's also an academic and um, said that there will be zero problems in the neighborhood. Zero problems. Zero problems. Mm. He promised zero problems and laid out a way. As an answer to what happened, actually, uh, Mm. again, dear Professor uh, Çağlar Kurt and Selim Can Sazak has written a beautiful article called From Zero Problems to Zero Friends and (laughs) (laughs) explained what happened in Mm. there. And I think there are they looked at this through certain lenses, such as identity, such as trade and security. And I'm going to talk about what they argued there, because mm. I think their argument is very valid and very uh, valuable. Maybe we can start with what the Justice and Development Party has been trying to do. So for decades, Turkey stood as, as a secular uh, democracy with a Muslim majority, which mm-hmm. was unusual for the region. Mm-hmm. Um, with the strong ties to the West, but there has been always a push for being more active in the foreign policy arena, particularly among Islamists who believe in Turkey's historical responsibility for leading the Middle East. This is maybe, uh, how can I say, this could be understood as a dream of the past of the old Ottoman reign, maybe, so to say. Mm-hmm. And when the Justice and Development Party came to power in 2002, Turkey's foreign policy policies shifted towards the Middle East. Uh, and I said Ahmed Davutoglu promised the zero problems doctrine. However, as Turkey's ambitions grew, uh, its successes shrank and it became embroiled in the conflicts of the region, including the Syrian civil war. And despite this, um, they, the authors argue that Turkey can still be a valuable partner in preserving the territorial integrity of Sur- uh, Iraq and Syria uh, in combating terrorism and resolving the refugee crisis. As we all know, that Turkey has uh, shared a big part of the responsibility in this, um, whether you agree with the foreign policy or not. Mm-hmm. Um And looking at the identity lens, the current problematic relationships between secular and Islamic factions uh, in Turkish politics has um, created questions about the reasons for the neo-Ottoman turn. And the Turkish Republic was not inevitable as many early revolutionaries were loyal to the throne in the early days. Mm -hmm. And Turkish politics has been divided between the secular and the status first group and the second group that includes factions around politicization of Islam and liberalization Mm -hmm. of the economy. And Erdogan's party came from the second group, Mm -hmm. the anti-Western and reactionary faction, which see the Turkish Republic and the Ottoman Empire as polar opposites. However, this party's stance was pro-EU in the beginning, and it challenged military tutelage and secularism in the name of individual freedoms and democratic development. And their neo-Ottomanism may have been partly motivated by this Islamist identity, mm-hmm. but it's not a new phenomenon as other parties have also used this identity in the republic's past and their support base go beyond this conservative core so to say and they pursued ambitious reforms in their early years to seek eu membership to mm-hmm. stay friends with mm-hmm. the eu but moving on to trade there are also other factors this neo ottoman turn can also be related to the expanding commercial interests 
So the strong single party rule of the JDP after the big economic crisis in 2001 resulted in Turkey becoming the 17th largest economy in 2012. Not so much anymore. but And this economic success was partially due to the growth in trade, mm -hmm. which is important, uh, with Turkey's foreign trade volume increasing $72 billion dollars in 2001 to 400 billion dollars in 2014 and this big business lobby played a key role in shaping foreign policy decisions and lobbying from business groups helped in reproachment with Armenia so mm -hmm. to say despite this um, trade-based theories struggle to explain as the authors suggest Turkey's moves in the recent years such as the big change in Syria policy which saw an increase in the cross-border trade and tourism security and i also agree with the authors that this this is probably the biggest reason mm -hmm. when thinking about the foreign policy decisions or the military decisions of turkey in the region the geopolitical landscape that emerged after the cold war which forced turkey to think over and reassess its security options due to the changing strategic environment uh and with the absence of the soviet union u.s no longer sharing a common enemy and the u.s um threat perception actually shifting to the rogue states of the Middle East, so to say, including Iran, Iraq, Syria. However, um, Turkey dependent on these countries to ward off their their self-identified Kurdish separatism mm -hmm. problem and had growing trade relations with them. And Turkey's JDP party pursued this zero problems policy to mm -hmm. moderate these Kurdish politics, so to say, and break the secular military's grip on politics and expand trade and cultural ties in the Middle East. Um, This policy worked until the Arab uprisings of 2011 and mm -hmm. the Syrian civil war, which, of course, strained uh, Turkey's relations with the West. Mm -hmm. And Turkish-Israeli relations were also affected by the rise of this anti-Americanism and Erdogan's purge of Turkey's secular generals, which eliminated the constituency for security cooperation with Israel, which I think right now was a big loss because I think um, Israel and Turkey should, no matter the foreign policy differences or the leadership differences, strategically should have stayed close as close partners this would have benefited turkey much more than being so to say problematic mediterranean mm -hmm. friends that have to get along so the polarization of the israeli and turkish publics opposing the ideological agendas of their leaders and um crises like the Mavi Marmara, which was a big crisis at the time, uh, rate further contributed to a climate of distrust in the region. So right now, uh, as many academics would define the Turkish foreign policy, even the military decisions are based on an opportunistic uh, behavior. Well, how, however, the tides turn, uh, it is not a grand strategy, but rather how can we best get something mm -hmm. out of this so to say mm -hmm. jumping into uh, that um that, that conclusion i wonder having in mind uh presidential election this month with the yes. president Erdogan is about the elections what is in your mind as it outlook for the future of the turkish defense industry having in mind this election this month that whatever result it turn out to be Will there be an impact on the industry or after the elections? Mm -hmm. I mean, there are, I think, certain different perspectives to look at. The mm. first is that, um, will Erdogan stay or will the opposition leader Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu will mm -hmm. replace him? But let's look at the both scenarios. If President Erdogan stays as with another turn, We can look at what will happen to Turkish defense industry in the bu business as usual way. It will, I think it will continue developing. It will be a major factor, but we can assess this with the regime boosting factor that is used for the 
with the defense industry. Didem Soyaltın, Kolella and Tolga Demiryol have investigated this and they claim that middle powers such as Turkey can benefit from the use and diffusion of their own military technologies, such as the use of drones, as you mentioned. And by developing and using drones, Turkey has been able to expand its military capabilities beyond this conventional warfare capabilities and has gained technical and military leverage in regional disputes. This feeds into the regime, of course. And the success of Turkish drones has also turned them into symbols of national pride and bolstered the confidence of the government. Additionally, the use of drones has strengthened Turkey's military capacity and enabled it to conduct effective cross-border operations. That's also important for Mm -hmm. the region. And this positioned Turkey as an alternative source for arms sales and helped consolidate new alliances in the neighborhood too. So the increasing use of drones and the government's authoritarian tendencies nevertheless raise concerns regarding effective oversight and appropriate regulation. This may limit opportunities for opposition parties mm-hmm. to contest government policies on the grounds of democracy and human rights. So furthermore, these problems suggest that policies like that may lead to the formation of new alliances among like-minded regimes, mm-hmm. which has, to be fair is also an important factor in the West too. The, the US has uh, published a strategic report saying that we value like-minded partners. This is, I guess, uh, an important aspect for East or the West or the West or the West. Specifically what? with the Biden administration policy. You mean, yes, yeah. I mean, I mean mm-hmm. the Biden administration. Yes, and uh, this um, like-minded regimes coming together, especially with the global South, can further undermine the stability of the liberal world order, so mm-hmm. to say. But let's uh, look at the other opportunity. Uh, if Erdogan, if this was Erdogan's last term, and the um, table of six, as they call it, the uh, opposition leaders that came under a possible coalition under the leadership of Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu. They, regarding what will happen to the Turkish defense industry, uh, in their Memorandum of Understanding on Common Policies, published what they hope to do. I will briefly summarize what they are saying. They uh, put out a set of proposals to develop Turkey's defense industry and reduce the dependence on imports in this field. That's important because what I would like to emphasize is that when it comes to, I think, the basics the need for the Turkish defense industry and a strong defense industry. I think Erdogan or Kılıçdaroğlu, they will have a mutual understanding. But what I see from the Memorandum of Understanding on Common Policies is that they hope to focus on the key challenges that the industry is facing and hopefully recover the industry from this. For example, their plans include ending political appointments and nepotism in public institutions Mm -hmm. related to the defense industry, creating a transparent and accountable structure centralized at the presidency of defense industries, developing an ecosystem that will pioneer the development of dual-use advanced industrial technologies. Mm -hmm. Other proposals are to restructure the Turkish Armed Forces Foundation and its affiliates, eliminating import dependency, which is very critical, increasing resources allocated to research and development. Uh, This is a problem almost all academics argue in the field and developing a widespread uh, incubation environment for innovative product. Again, I personally think there will be similarities when it comes to grant interests. Uh, Much will, of course, depend on the outcome of the election. We just have a Tuna Sutura first-year student of the Master of International Affairs program at the Hertie School in Berlin. Thank you so much, Tuna, for bringing us very fantastic first episode of the podcast. Thank you, Cheng, for... And goodbye. See you in next episode.